book of Jonah, I want to begin our Bible reading from the very last verse of chapter 1, and then we'll read through to the end of Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 1, and beginning the reading in verse number 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly, and said, I cry by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice, for thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thy holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Amen. We'll end our Bible reading there at the end of verse number 10. And let's seek the Lord in prayer together as we consider this passage. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning we do thank you for the great truth that we have just read. A verse in all its simplicity, that salvation is of the Lord. And we pray that you would take up this little phrase of Scripture and that you would teach us today what is needful for us about it and that we would understand the comprehensive nature of what it is that salvation is of you and not of us. And so we pray that you'll help us as we consider the scriptures today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It is from the belly of this great fish that Jonah made one of the greatest, clearest, and most comprehensive theological statements found in the whole Bible. That simple phrase that I referenced in that opening prayer in Genesis chapter 2 at the very end of verse number 9, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. It's one of the greatest statements in Scripture because it speaks to the central fact of the Bible that it is God who saves men from their sins. It's one of the most clear theological statements from Scripture because the contents of the statement cannot be confused. It's difficult to misunderstand exactly what God has said. The subject is very clear. Salvation. The author 
of that subject is also very clear. It is the Lord. It is comprehensive in its nature because it teaches us that all of salvation is wrought and planned and ordained and organized in the man, in the mind of the God of heaven. And it is the comprehensive nature of this statement that I want to focus on today. You all know that God is the author of salvation. It is God himself who became man. Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God took to himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. It is Christ, that God-man, who came to this earth and placed himself under the authority of the holy law of God. It is Christ, that God-man, for 33 years of earthly ministry on this earth that perfectly obeyed all of that law. It is Christ, the God-man, who went to the cross and died and shed his blood to pay the penalty for your sins. It was Christ, that God-man, that rose again the third day. And it is Christ, that God-man, that ascended back to glory, who is now seated at the right hand of the Father, who ever lives to make intercession for us. The salvation of your soul and the salvation of mine from start to finish, is of the Lord. It was the Lord's idea. And it's the Lord who has carried it out. You all have heard that uh, Trinitarian phrase. It is the Father that planned redemption. It is the Son that accomplished redemption. And it is the Holy Spirit that applies redemption. It is of the Lord that salvation comes. And while Jonah's statement no doubt refers to the salvation of souls, uh, the saving of men and women from their sins and from eternal destruction and from the eternal wrath of God, technically in its context, it is a statement that refers to salvation from temporal circumstances. You see, when Jonah said these words, he was in quite the predicament. He was in the belly of a great fish. He was being swam inside this great fish through the Mediterranean Sea somewhere. At depths, we don't know. And it's because of his own sin And it's because of his own backsliding that Jonah found himself in this place of real trouble. And as he describes it in this psalm, this this prayer, um, you see in verse number 2, and he says, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I. It's a psalm. It's, It's a poetic statement. Uh, in the book of of Jonah, but it's a prayer that Jonah uttered to the Lord from this place in the fish's belly, but he says in this prayer that he was at a place of death. He says, from hell cried I. That word hell, uh, you know, I believe already, uh, is that Old Testament word sheol, 
a word that means grave, a word that means a place where dead people are put, not necessarily hell and all of its torments, um, but you dig a hole six feet in the ground and you put a dead body in it. That is Sheol, that is the grave. And Jonah considered himself to be in the place of his death. He thought it was over. But Jonah, in some level of consciousness inside that fish's belly, consciously prays to the God of heaven. You may never find yourself in quite the trouble that Jonah was in, but you know from your own experience as a Christian that we find ourselves in great trouble, sometimes because of our own sin, sometimes because you are away from the Lord. You may find yourself in a place of persecution and difficulty, but no matter what situation you find yourself in, you must always remember that salvation is of the Lord. And so what I want to preach to you on this morning is the subject of the Lord's salvation in the time of trouble. The Lord's salvation in the time of trouble. And what I want you to see first of all from this passage is that trouble often comes your way. Now that's no shocking revelation to you because it might be the fact that at this very moment you are experiencing some great difficulty and some great trouble. Uh, You may in your family have troubles that we have prayed about in prayer meeting. You may have troubles that nobody knows about. You may have troubles that are the secret of your own heart. But it is simply the fact of the matter that trouble often comes our way. And the Lord is the salvation in time of trouble. But trouble often comes your way. And oftentimes that trouble comes for one of two reasons. Really there are two reasons why trouble comes. The first one is because of your own sinfulness. Sometimes trouble comes because of your own sinfulness. And this is something that too often we don't want to realize, we don't want to recognize, and we don't want to take ownership of. We want to cast the blame away from ourselves, and we want to convince ourselves, and we want to convince other people that our troubles are because of somebody else's sin. can't be because of mine, it's somebody else has done wrong that has caused all these bad things to happen to me. But we clearly see here from the whole story of Jonah that Jonah's sin of disobedience is what landed him in this fish's belly. See, Jonah had been told to go to the city of Nineveh. He had been told to preach to the Ninevites, and Jonah refused to do so. We learn later the reason why Jonah refused, The reason Jonah refused to go to Nineveh is because he hated the Ninevites. And he knew the character, the merciful, gracious character of the God of heaven. And he knew that God was so merciful and God was so gracious that if he went and preached to the Ninevites, God would save them. And Jonah said, I don't want to have any part of that. And so Jonah, in his hatred for the Ninevites, said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to obey what God has told me to do. And so he hires a ship to get as far away from Nineveh as possible. The short of it is, instead of going uh, east, 
Jonah took a ship west, as far west, the city of Tarshish would have been basically the westernmost port that anybody knew about. And that's where Jonah was headed. But the Lord stopped him. Chapter 1 of the book of Jonah teaches us the consequences of disobedience. You disobey the Lord, and the Lord is not going to turn a blind eye to that. Especially if you're one of his children, the Lord is going to come and deal and chasten those that are his. And when you disobey the Lord, you're, you're going to receive trouble. You're going to receive the chastening hand of God. But yet we try to ignore that fact. We try to shift blame for our problems onto someone else. And so maybe you blame the devil. Well, I think most of us are mature enough Christians here to know that we have enough sinfulness in our own heart that the devil doesn't have to do really anything at all to get us to fall into sin. The devil doesn't even have to tempt us much at all because we have enough corruption in our own hearts and enough sin already resides there that we can turn our eyes to the lusts of the flesh uh, really without much enticement at all. And so we can't shift the blame to Satan. We have to come clean with the fact that I'm a sinner. I I am the one that has tempted myself in these things. Maybe we even worse than blaming Satan, you try to blame a spouse. Humans always try to pass the blame. This is one of the first things we see in Scripture, where the Lord comes to Adam. Adam, what have you done? And what are Adam's, what's Adam's excuse? Adam's excuse is not, Lord, please forgive me, I have sinned. Adam's excuse was, no, Lord, it's your fault. You're the one that gave me this woman. And so he blames Eve. And so he turns to Eve and Eve says, well, it's not my fault. It's this serpent. And the blame is shifted from from one to the next. And I'm not responsible. And is that not what we live with today? Is that not the culture that exists today? I'm not responsible. And so behavioristic psychologists will come and, and teach you that the only reason you're having any problems It's because of somebody else's sin. You're having problems now as an adult because your mom and dad didn't treat you right. You're having problems as an adult because a teacher that you had in school said something to you somewhere along the way that destroyed your your psyche and your ego and has sent you into this tailspin of alcohol and drugs. And it's not your fault, it's somebody else's fault. You're not responsible for your sin, it's somebody else's responsible for your sin. But trouble comes because of sin. Jonah couldn't blame anybody but himself for the problems that he was facing at this moment. It was his sinfulness. Is this not what we see in David when David sinned with Bathsheba? When he comes to that great psalm of repentance, Psalm 51, we don't see David casting the blame anywhere else. But he he says plainly, Lord, it's before you and you only have I sinned. I'm the one that that has done this evil. And he cries out for repentance. You know, sometimes, I don't say this every time, but often when I have to discipline my own children, I'll I'll say something along the lines that you, you brought this on yourself. I don't want to punish you. 
you brought this on yourself. If, if you had not done this disobedient wrong thing, then we wouldn't be having this conversation at all. This is your fault that we're having this conversation. It is your fault that you've been disciplined in this way. Well, when trouble comes, the first place we ought to look is our own heart and our own sin. You know, you, you don't pray. That's a sin. But you don't pray. And you wonder, why does God never do anything for me? Why, why, am I, why am I struggling with my bills? Why, why am I struggling with my marriage? Why am I struggling with my children? Well, James tells us very clearly, you have not because you ask not. You, you sin and you don't pray. Well, what are you expecting the Lord to do if you don't ask Him to do anything? If you have the sin of slothfulness or, or being lazy... You wonder why things don't get done. You wonder why your dishes don't just magically get put in the dishwasher. You wonder why your floor's not swept. You wonder why laundry's not done. You act badly, and you wonder why people try to avoid you. Well, our sinfulness often brings our own troubles. And so trouble comes for one of two reasons. It comes either because of sinfulness, or it comes as a means of the Lord's testing. Now, sometimes that is why trouble comes. And we always want to think it's that reason. And I guess in one sense it is that reason all the time for the believer. Even in the Lord's punishing us, even because of our own sinfulness, the Lord still does bring discipline for an instructive purpose, a growing purpose to teach us, to transform us, to change us into who we ought to be because we're not what we ought to be because we've sinned. And so the Lord brings that chastening hand to help us, to teach us. But I think sometimes we we acknowledge our sinfulness as a last resort, and we want to consider ourselves very pious that the Lord is is testing us because of uh, our, our righteousness. We perceive ourselves to be Job rather than David. We perceive ourselves to be Job rather than Peter. But yet I think more often than not we're David's and Peter's rather than Job's. Job was in the innocency of his heart. Job was a righteous man who feared God and eschewed evil. He he rejected evil. He didn't want to have anything to do with sin. And the Lord brought great trouble into Job's life as a means of testing him. We know that. We're told in Job chapter 1 the whole backstory of everything that happened to Job. And we know But yet, in James, we read concerning ourselves, James 1, verses 2 to 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, or endurance is the idea. But let that patience or that endurance have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect, that you might be complete and entire, wanting nothing. And so the Lord tells us that when trouble comes, we are to count it all joy. Even even if that trouble is the result of our own sinfulness. I would submit even in that context, we're to count it all joy. For the Lord to come and deal with us 
in any way, on any level, even if it is discipline, is an act of grace on the part of God toward us. And so when trouble comes, James teaches us, count it all joy. The worst thing that could ever happen is for the Lord to never punish you. The worst thing that could happen is for the Lord to just step back and let you just keep going wherever you want to go and do whatever you want to do. Can we as parents not relate to that? Can we as parents not wrap our head around that very concept? We see disobedience in our children, and we love them. And we know that is going to lead to very, very bad things. And so I'm going to step in here. I'm going to challenge my son. I'm going to challenge my daughter. I'm going to prevent my son or daughter from doing these things. I'm going to put roadblocks in front of them. I'm going to put safeguards around them because I don't want them to go into these bad things. Not because I hate them, but because I love them. And I want the best for them. And so I'm going to seek to put the brakes on what I perceive to be bad behavior because we love our children. And you know instinctively in your own mind the worst thing you could do is to just stand back and watch your child go into sin. None of us want that. You wouldn't let your child just continue on and just completely abandon them and just throw up your hands with a fine, do-whatever-you-want kind of attitude. It's awful. Now, sometimes our kids jump the fence, and sometimes children belligerently disobey, and they will not hear reason, and they refuse to to obey and they refuse to, to submit to the will of their parents. And what can we do? We pray for them. And we, we as parents try to, to restrain. But it's an act of love to deal with trouble. And so when trouble comes, we're to count it all joy. But the point here in what we're dealing with, with this whole subject of the Lord's salvation in the time of trouble is the very fact that trouble is going to come. Trouble will come. Steel only becomes harder when it's heated. If it's left to itself, it will be more soft and malleable. But as it's put in the forge and it's heated up to the right temperature, that steel is hardened. The Lord does that for His servants. The Lord does that for us, His people, He puts us through that fire of testing to strengthen us and to make us better, to make us better, but what I mean by that, more conformed to the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so when I tell you that trouble is often going to come your way, I'm not telling you anything new. That's not any earth-shattering revelation to you. And I don't think the second point that I'm going to put before you from this phrase is earth-shattering as well. This is not going to be new to you either. And that is, secondly, in the time of trouble, you must remember the Lord. You must remember the Lord in your troubles. And this is what Jonah did as he was in the belly of this fish. He says specifically in verse number 7, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And Joel in the, or, sorry, Jonah, in the midst of all this trouble, uh, Jonah literally in the place that he considered to be his place of death, in that fish's belly, 
He was conscious of the Lord, and he cried out to the Lord in prayer from the belly of that fish. Now, was it too late? No, it wasn't too late. It's never too late to cry to the Lord. But if you look back in chapter 1 at verse number 6, if Jonah had any sense about him, he would have cried to the Lord a long time ago. He would have cried to the Lord earlier. In in Jonah 1 and verse 6, we have what we assume to be an unsaved shipmaster. This wasn't his pastor that gave him this advice. This was the guy that was in charge of the ship. So the shipmaster came to him and he said to him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. So Jonah was on this ship headed to Tarshish and you see up in verse 4, the Lord had sent a great wind into the sea and there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. And these other sailors, uh, they all started crying out to their gods and Jonah's doing nothing. Jonah's asleep during all this. And the shipmaster, and again, I say, you know, this wasn't his pastor that gave him this advice. This was the captain of the ship said, hey man, we're all praying, you ought to pray. Jonah was the only one who had a God to pray to. These others were praying to their their idols, they were praying to their false gods, and nothing was going to be helped. The whole problem was Job's, I keep saying Job, the whole problem was Jonah's fault anyway. Jonah was the reason for that storm. Jonah was the reason for that trouble. And this man said, Jonah, you ought to pray. We're, We're praying, superstitiously, fine. But we're praying, you ought to pray. And Jonah, as a prophet of the Lord, should have recognized that as a a huge rebuke and submitted to the Lord at that very moment. I wonder, we're not told, but I wonder had Jonah prayed in that moment, we might not have a children's Sunday school story about a man and a big fish. That, That fish may have never, I mean, there would have been no need for that. Jonah just repent and do right. But he continues on in his rebellion against God. And you know the story. Eventually he was cast overboard at the horror of these other mariners. But he was thrown overboard, and the Lord in grace and mercy had prepared that great fish. That's where we picked it up in verse number 17. Jonah may have waited too long to call upon the Lord, but nonetheless, he did call upon the Lord. He was, even in in, in the bottom of his circumstances, eventually brought to his senses. He, He had enough spiritual sense in him to know, I need to pray. I need to seek the Lord. And so he did. And it's interesting, I go through tit for tat and point out all of them, but It's interesting here, Jonah was a man who obviously knew his Bible. Because you'll find that a lot of what Jonah prays is either really a direct quotation or a a, a very obvious allusion to portions of the Psalms. Uh, Jonah was a a man of the word. Uh, Jonah was, if we could put it this way, Jonah was a man who knew better. He was a man who knew better. And, and, And when he's in these depths... He remembered the Lord. He prayed. And he remembered certain things. I think we can point out some specific ones here. Verse number one. 
Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. You take from that phrase, the Lord is God, uh, the, the, that phrase there, Lord in all capitals, that's Jehovah, that's the covenant-keeping God, but uh, that word God is a name of God that would emphasize something of his power and his authority. And so that's the first thing I would point to you is what Job remembered. And, and what Job remembered and what we need to remember in our time of trouble, and that is, first of all, the Lord's authority. Jonah was a prophet of the Lord, and though he had sinned, God had not forgot about Jonah. Though Jonah, for a moment, had forgotten about the Lord's authority, the Lord had not forgotten about him. Because is it not true what the Psalms tell us, though, though we fall, we shall not be utterly cast down? Is it not true that the Lord remembers that we are but dust? He knows the frailty of human flesh. And through it all, the Lord was still with Jonah. And Jonah remembered the Lord's authority over him. As Jonah's God, the Lord had authority over all of his circumstances. And I wonder if, if we come to that place in our time of trouble, that we recognize, Lord, whatever is happening to me, this is not outside your sovereignty. This is not outside your authority and your right to bring these things upon me. He's the potter, and we're the clay. And the Lord is is the God of heaven, the creator of all things. He has the prerogative, he has the authority to bring upon us whatever he wants to do. Even Even as I type that phrase in my notes, the Lord has the authority to do whatever he wants to do. Human, human nature would rebel against that very idea that God can do whatever he wants to do. But if you stop and just think about that phrase, God only wants to do the right thing. God can never want to do the wrong thing. And so whatever God is doing, it is the right thing. I don't understand that. And you don't understand that. But God cannot do the wrong thing. And so whatever he is doing is the right thing. And even in the deepest trouble that we can perceive ourselves ever to be in, God has the authority to bring that upon us. We are but the creature. And to rebel against that is to rebel against the sovereignty and the God of heaven. God can overrule every matter. If God can turn the heart of a king, whithersoever it will, then God can turn your circumstance. He can turn the heart of a king, so he can turn the heart of your boss. He can turn the heart of your spouse. He can turn the heart of your wayward child. He can turn turn hearts. He's a heart turner, God is. He has the authority to do that. And he has the authority to bring to us whatever we face. And we must remember that in the time of trouble. But there's a second thing he actually mentions twice uh, in this prayer. He remembers the Lord's holiness. Look at verse 4. Then I said, I'm cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. And then verse 7. When my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came unto thee 
into thine holy temple. Jonah didn't know where he was. I mean, other than he'd been swallowed by a fish. He didn't know which way Jerusalem was. He's all turned about. He's got seaweed wrapped around his head. He, didn't, he doesn't know. And so what this is, is this is a turning of his heart, obviously. This isn't a, a physical turning of his eyes in one particular direction. This isn't any kind of superstitious turning like the Muslims would do when they have to face a particular direction and face toward Mecca and get on their mats and you know the ringing of the bells and all this. This isn't a superstitious turning. This is an acknowledgement of the holiness of the God of heaven. He's, he's acknowledged his authority over him, but the holiness of God, that he's separate from the creature. He's, he's different from the creature. God is not like us, and that's a good thing. God is holy. And even though God is holy, and even though God is separate from us and that he is different from us, he hears the prayers of his people. Look what he says in verse 4. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. I'm being punished. I'm cast out of your sight. But I'm going to submit my heart. And I'm still going to look toward you. Because you're holy. Look toward your, your holy temple. Whatever your circumstance may be, God is not being unholy toward you. He is not being unrighteous toward you. God is not seeking to destroy you. God is holy. I've already, to some degree, emphasized this point. God is not doing the wrong thing. He cannot do the wrong thing. He is perfectly righteous. Like iron, he's seeking to strengthen you. He is seeking to increase your faith. He is seeking to solidify your trust. He is doing that work to sanctify you. He hath begun that good work, will complete that work until the day of Christ. But there's a third thing that Jonah remembers that I would put before you, and that is Jonah remembers the Lord's mercy. He remembers the Lord's mercy. The very fact that Jonah prayed and the very fact that Jonah did not simply just give us, give up hope, I think shows us that Jonah recognized that God is merciful. If we back up in the story just a little bit, the whole reason that Jonah got on that ship to go to Tarshish in the first place was because he knew that God was merciful. And in a twist of irony, the fact that he knew God was merciful is what made him so upset in the first place. The very idea that God would be merciful to the Ninevites made Jonah quite angry. And, and you read on the rest of the story, you get to chapter 4, and Jonah goes and preaches, and then he goes and sits up on the hillside, and he's, he's waiting for fire to fall. He's waiting to see him destroyed. Forty days, none of us destroyed. He goes up there and, you know, just waits for them to be destroyed. That's what he wanted to happen. 
But you see, he knew God was merciful. Jonah here, even what he considered to be the point of his own death, we've looked at that in in verse 2. He thought this was his grave. Seaweed wrapped around his head, his soul fainting within him. Total despair, that's the language. But yet he knows God's merciful. His mind is so saturated with the Psalms. I've already mentioned this. He quotes or alludes to the Psalms. His, his mind is so saturated with the Psalms that here in this deepest, darkest moment, remembering God is merciful and only God can save me from this situation, those memories of the Psalms had to be an encouragement to him. And, and he knew the Lord is the author of salvation. The Lord's merciful. The Lord can get me out of this. Salvation's of the Lord. So that brings me to the last thing I want you to see from this passage. And that is the Lord can save you from your troubles. The Lord can save you from your troubles. This was Jonah's confidence while he was in this fish's belly. He saves us temporarily, or sorry, temporally. He does save temporally. And I said, really, this is the, the immediate context. He utters that phrase, salvation's of the Lord, and, and the Lord prepares that fish to spit him out there on the dry ground. But in some ways, I don't read too much into this, but in some ways when Jonah says that salvation is of the, of the Lord, he's already convinced he's at the place of his death. And it, it is in a roundabout way, Jonah uttering to the Lord, thou will be done. Lord, you can save me out of this. But if you don't, thy will be done. Again, I don't want to read too much into that. But Jonah thought he was dead. He thought he was a goner. But the Lord did save him. The Lord did preserve him to go on to Nineveh and to preach. And you know the rest of the story. But Jonah knew that if he, were, if he was going to be spared, the only way for him to be spared was for the Lord to do it. The only way out of his trouble was the Lord. Do you see yourself in the Lord's hand to that degree in your troubles that the only way out is the Lord? You know, we have our plans, we have our schemes, we have our, we have our ideas of, of how, we can, how we can make this work, how we can figure it out, how, how with the arm of the flesh we can overcome our circumstances rather than just submitting to God's sovereignty over where we are. And Lord, salvation's of the Lord. The only way for me to get out of this is for you to get me out of this. The Lord saves temporally, but we know that ultimately it is an eternal salvation that the Lord is after. Salvation is of the Lord. Uh, I'll remind you of John 1, verses 12 to 13, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them which believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It is God that saves sinners. And if you have trusted the Lord with your eternal welfare, then can you not trust the Lord in a time of trouble and temporal circumstances as well? So this statement, salvation is of the Lord, is the kind of statement that we can trust as one of the sure, absolute, steadfast promises of God 
it's, it's a truth that we can take to the bank, as it were. It's a statement that's timeless. It's a statement that in some ways is just limitless in its application. You need salvation from what? Well, it's of the Lord. You'll know the story of Corey ten Boom. She knew that salvation was of the Lord. She and her family, you know the story, protected Jews during the Holocaust. She was thrown into a concentration camp. But she trusted the Lord. And she knew that she was in the Lord's hands. And come what may, the Lord was the one that was going to preserve her, or the Lord was the one that was going to bring her to himself. Salvation was of the Lord. The Lord delivered her. There's another missionary, maybe a little bit lesser known, a man named Brother Andrew. If you've ever heard of him, or you've read the book God's Smuggler by Brother Andrew. Brother Andrew died about a week ago. Uh, in the Netherlands where he lived. He was 96, 95, 96, I think. He passed away. But he smuggled Bibles across the Iron Curtain during the the times of uh, the USSR, deep communist Russia. And he would drive through checkpoints, literally with the back seat of his car slapped full of Bibles. And he would come to checkpoints And his prayer, his famous prayer was, Lord, in the Bible you made the blind to see. I ask you to make seeing eyes blind. And he would drive across the border into communist Russia with a car full of Bibles, not covered with a tarp, not not in boxes, just in the back seat. And the guards would look in the back seat, shine their flashlight in there, and not see a thing, and let him go through. And he, he delivered thousands and hundreds of thousands of Bibles into communist Russia. But he was a man that knew salvations of the Lord. It's only by the Lord's mercy that I can come and go and, and do this and, and seek to spread the gospel in this place where humans have banned it to be spread. But salvations of the Lord. Whatever problem you face, whatever it is, whether it's your sin or not, the only way out is through the Lord to trust him and so he's able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him amen let's close in prayer our father we do rejoice this morning in your goodness to us we are thankful that you are the author of salvation in one sense we have to thank you that we are not the authors of our own salvation because the nature of our existence is that we've already made a big enough mess of things that if we were left to save ourselves we would just make a bigger mess of that and so we thank you that you are the one who is able to step in and help us regardless of the need and so for that we give you praise and glory we ask that you'll bless us the remainder of the day we pray that as we come back this evening to worship you again, and that we would know your help. Pray that you'll give us that rest, that Lord's Day rest that our bodies need, and that you would do us good. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.